By the way, I saw uh, something about how Levert could maybe be a uh, trade chip at the deadline. Maybe we'll ask Greg Swartz about that. He will join us at 8.20 from Bleacher Report. Get his uh, lay of the land on all things NBA, including a lot of Cavaliers talk. I want to ask him, too, about the in-season tournament. Is it something that is going to stick now, or is there still some room for growth? And I just want to know what it's going to take. I actually have a uh, a thought about the in-season tournament, which we'll get to a little bit later as well. But I promise to get your calls. I do need to get to this Bill Belichick thing. We'll get your calls first, then we'll go to that. Jeffrey, you're up first in this lineup here. Jeffrey in Cleveland, what's going on, man? Hey, what's going on? Here's the thing. Every game the Browns play, it's getting bigger and bigger. The game's getting bigger and bigger and more and more important because it's a lot of teams at 7-6. and six. If yeah. the Browns lose one game, you know where we're going, right? We're going to be ch- challenging everybody that's 7-6. and six. Now, the Bears come in here Sunday, but they don't have a scintilla of a chance of going to the playoffs, but they have a winning streak. So we can positively say that the Bears are the team that's going to be going these last few games to upset playoff teams and knock them out the playoffs. So our guys got to be ready this game. We have to be ready. This is a big game. Even though the Bears is a losing team, it's still a big game. It might be small to them, yeah. but it's big to the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, Go no Browns. doubt, Jeffrey. Appreciate the call. I, I think, honestly, that's the mentality they've taken all season anyway. <laughs> it's it's annoying because cause Stefanski just gives you the same old cliches over and over again. So when he opens up his press conference and says, we just, we're just focused on being 1-0 every single week, I roll my eyes. But at the same time, I think, like, if you're ever gonna, if there's ever a team that's embodied all these cliches, like next man up and just go 1-0 and and, and what, throw out your, your favorite coach speak cliche, I think it's been this Browns team this year that have sort of subscribed to all of them and, 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 and represented all of them and lived all of them. So we'll see if they can keep it going. No doubt about it. Let's go to LaVon in Cleveland. Uh, LaVon, what's going on, man? What's going on, y'all? I got the plan for the Browns. Um, okay. We just need to respect Joe Flacco and respect the number 32, Jim Brown, the running game. And keep Flacco. We made a mistake with Deshaun Watson. Maybe we should just cut him and keep our pieces that we got that's valuable, like, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, he's did good, and um, Miles Garrett, and roll with that, and we should be well put if we just keep them pieces that we have and say, Deshaun Watson, we made a mistake. Hey, go on about your business, and we're we're going to groom somebody with Joe Flacco and continue with Joe Flacco to lead this team to a winning organization. All right, LeVon, appreciate it, man. Good stuff. You mentioned the run game there. You think of all the guys that have gotten hurt this year, they got to be missing Nick Chubb the most right now, right? Like if there's one guy that that was that, that could come back off the IR, you wish it would be Nick Chubb. I know, I'm, I know that probably seems blasphemous to some people because Deshaun Watson's sitting right there and you're like, how is it not him? But... 
guys, like imagine what this play action game, how like it's already been effective with Flacco throwing it 40 plus times and only running it a handful of times or 20 something times and splitting carries between Ford and, and Hunt and just trying to find some sort of rhythm between the two. But like if you had Chubb out there who can just create run plays out of thin air himself, can you imagine how effective this offense would be? That's the guy you wish was coming back off the IR. They have to miss him the most right now. Like if you if you if if the football gods came down and said, "We will grant you one player to return off the IR before the end of the season." You're you're picking Nick Chubb. I don't care who you are, you're picking Nick Chubb. I don't care how much you think quarterbacks matter in this league. Seeing how this offense has played, how this team has played, you realize that they can win games with without Deshaun Watson and with Nick Chubb back there with him, with Joe Flacco, I guarantee you the majority of people are picking picking Nick Chubb. Jeff, Jeff, what's going on, man? How you doing? Good. Good. Yeah, um, yeah, let's not forget, you know, this is Cleveland where quarterbacks go to die. So um, <laughs> we're riding high right now at the moment. But this, this might totally change in two, three weeks. You know, Joe Flacco is getting in a groove, but he hasn't really gotten, you know, hit all year. So, you know, I, I hope nothing happens to him because we got way too many injuries. Yeah. Well, the nice thing, so, Jeff, is that he tends to get rid of the ball pretty quickly. So he tends to avoid getting hit, which is the good news. Yeah. And our defense, I mean, we gave up we gave up too many points. We played a great game and everything, but we still gave up a lot of points. And the running game, we got to run – get that straightened out and get more running in there. So it looks good. If everything could just maintain, if we have just no bad luck and no crazy Cleveland kind of things happen to us, yeah, I think we have a good shot getting into the playoffs, and then we'll go from there. No doubt. Yeah, you want to avoid the crazy Cleveland things happening to this team, which is why I said last week the worst-case scenario is that you go into that, that game against the Bengals last week of the regular season, and it's a win and you're in situation for the Browns. Because I can laugh about it right now, sitting here on December 12th, but we all know how that's going to go. We all know how a win-and-you're-in game goes for this franchise in the final week of the regular season. It, we, do, we don't have to explain it. We know. Guys, um, this is going to probably sound like blasphemy, and people are going to say, who cares? I kind of feel bad for Bill Belichick. I don't know why. I get it. Why should I feel bad for Bill Belichick? He's got all the rings. He's got more money than God. He's got the the, the fame of being one of the, the, the greatest NFL coach in the history of the game. But I don't know, like something about the way that this, this Patriots dynasty has just like unraveled and it it just feels like it's going down with a whimper. You never want to see any, like, like it's like putting a dog down. You don't want to see anybody put a dog down. That's one of the saddest things you can probably witness on, on the face of this earth is a dog being put down, especially when it's your family dog. And I'm, and I'm not a Patriots fan, so it's not that I care so much about the Patriots dynasty ending or whatever. It just feels like in my entire football life, as much as I load, load those Patriots teams, and got sick of seeing them win. There has always been two constants. There was Bill Belichick, 
and there was Tom Brady. And is as much as we hated that team, having a team that we could hate that much was great for the sport. It was great for the game. And it was those two guys just showing you each and every single week why they were the best in the business of what they did and playing 3D chess with other teams and just coming up with new ways to win and new new things and new rules and exploiting things. And I mean, it it, it takes up such a part of my football memory that I hate to see him and his and and the, I hate to see him go out sad. I do. This is not how I thought it was going to end for Belichick. I didn't think they'd be as good. I thought he'd kind of be able to keep the team competitive, especially that first year without Brady. They were still a playoff team that year. I, I think back to there was the year where Belichick won a game against the Bills where he ran, he threw the ball like five times or whatever the hell it was with Mac Jones. Mac Jones' first year, so that was two years ago. And it was like, this guy still got it. He's still out here checkmating all these other teams and just doing things the way he wants to do them. It's, it's, it's amazing. And then two years later, here we are talking about him losing his job and the reporting. For, I know Dove Kleinman had it that Robert Kraft's already made up his mind that he's going to move on from Belichick at the end of the season, and it's a done deal. He can't do anything to save his job, whatever. I don't know. It just feels sad to me. Maybe it's me coming to terms with, like, I don't know, because because my stance on these things, I know they're an easy target and they're easy to hate, and that's that's across all sports. There's always players and coaches and people that you're going to hate, not like, and, and this, that, and the third. I get it. But I have found myself, as I've gotten older, trying to enjoy the greatness of certain people in sport more so than just flat out, like, hate them all the time. And there's always going to be certain players I hate. Like, I'll never like Draymond Green. Every time I think I'm coming around and Draymond Green does something else that I hate, even though those teams are great and all these different things. But I don't know. Maybe it's just coming to terms with the fact that an an era of football has officially come to an end and you want to see greatness go out on top or at least go out not so sadly. But I just kind of feel bad for the way that it's all, uh, all unraveled on Belichick. I also think Belichick in a lot of ways is misunderstood. If you watched him this weekend, he was a, a big promoter and advocate for the, getting the Army-Navy game at, at, at Gillette Stadium over the weekend, and he was on college game day. He was hitting all the big shows, doing all these things. He brought his own helmet. He did his own headgear with Lee Corso sitting right next to him, and he had this personality. He was b- busting at the seams with with uh, personality and and just laughing and having a good time. Like, I think Belichick's misunderstood in a lot of ways. If you get him talking about the right things, if you get the right question asked to him, because I've, I've seen it happen being in a, in a Bills press conference room where we did a conference call with the opposing coaches, he will give you something meaningful and he won't just grumble in your face. So I think Belichick in a lot of ways is misunderstood. I probably shouldn't feel bad for him because, again, He's done all the winning and accomplished all the things you can accomplish at this level. And he's probably going to land on his feet somewhere else. But just the idea of this dynasty like crumbling down around us and a dynasty that I've seen since I really started watching football, like it's always been there. The, the Patriots, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, they've always been there. And I just didn't, I just don't like seeing, maybe this is a good way to put it. I, this might actually be a terrible analogy. Not quite a Sean McDermott level, but it's it's not it's not great. 
when you find out somebody has like a terminal illness, like you, you, you don't you don't want to see that. You don't you don't want to see somebody like a grandparent or somebody else's relative. Like you don't want to see somebody just kind of be like stumbling to the finish line, and you just got to watch them sort of go out in front of you. And I think that's kind of what it feels like. It feels like Bill Belichick is just getting put out of his misery. And I thought he'd go out still being a winner and still being able to find ways to have competitive teams and field competitive teams, despite the fact that he didn't have Tom Brady by his side anymore. Instead, here we are. I don't know. I'm sure there's not a lot of people in my corner on this one. I, and I, I accept that. I'm an empathetic guy. What can I say? 216-474-0092. Greg Swartz, we're going to talk Cavs. We're going to talk NBA. If you, if I missed your call this time around, we will get back to the Browns for sure later on in the show. Or if you want to talk Cavs, feel free to give us a call back. But for now, we pivot a little bit. we got Greg Swartz, Bleacher Report, joining us next on 92 Through the Fan. It's a lot tighter than it was to start this game for the Cavs. And we're going to be talking plenty of Cavs here momentarily when we connect with Greg Swartz of Bleacher Report. I do want to ask about the in-season tournament, which, guys, I'm not saying sports are rigged, but it went a little bit too perfect. Just a little bit too perfect. I'll explain why on the other side of our conversation here with Greg Swartz. But plenty to talk about on the Cavs front as uh, the season winds on. I'm interested because, guys, it's wildly enough as we shift gears into the uh, as we as we shift into the new year, it's going to be pretty wild. It's going to be pretty wild that. It's crazy that by in a couple weeks here we'll be at the end of the new the end of the year and we'll go to 2024 and we'll already be having conversations here in a couple weeks about trade deadline moves and what possibly the Browns could do or the Browns what the Cavs could potentially do to bolster the roster if they need to bolster the roster what types of trade chips they may have at their disposal all these different things those conversations aren't far away. They're uh, they're on the horizon here in the NBA. And, and we know, given the status of J.B. Bickerstaff and all these different things and conversations that people continue to have and Dan Gilbert being around the team more, that there's going to be realistic talk of things that might need to improve if the team doesn't find some consistency winning games, which we'll see if they can get the job done tonight in Boston. First game of uh, back-to-back games in Boston. But uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it for you the rest of the night. In the meantime, we do invite in our first guest of the evening. And all guests do appear on the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Greg Swartz, Bleacher Report, joining us now. Greg, I know it's been a minute, my man. I hope you're doing well, especially this time of year on the holidays. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on tonight. Absolutely. Uh, first and foremost, I, I want to start with... Just kind of the, the, I think the question that's weighing on everybody as they follow this Cavs team these first couple months of the season, and that is, how hot is JB Bickerstaff's seat? Do you think? Yeah, I, I, I think it's been warm going back to last season, ever since the the New York Knicks series, where um, 
I just thought he he didn't make the adjustments that he needed to make in that series. The issues that were appearing in game one were still issues in games three and four and five in that series. And, you know, after we were kind of spoiled by watching Ty Lue here, and he was just such a mastermind in the playoffs, and he was just so good. That's when he kind of elevated his game as well as a coach, and you just didn't see it from JB and, and the rest of his coaching staff. So I think we kind of entered the season with that seat being warm, um, and you've got a superstar that you need to keep happy, and that doesn't always bode well for security of head coaches. So uh, if the Cavs continue to struggle, they continue to hang out around 500, uh, they don't have the trade assets to go out and make a big move. So if, mm-hmm. if you're looking at potential big moves that they can make, uh, coaching change would certainly be one of those. In fairness to JB, though, it has been sort of a, a tumultuous start to the season, just given the sheer number of injuries. That's kind of that feels like a theme in Cleveland right now with, with their sports teams. Just a bunch of people getting injured every single week. It seems like, but obviously, right now there's no Evan Mobley playing tonight because of injury. But to start the season, you had you didn't have Jared Allen, and then Garland and Mo, and uh, Mitchell were sort of in and out of the lineup for certain injuries as well. So, how much can we really, you think, truly evaluate this team? given the fact that there's been so many different players kind of in and out on any given night? Yeah, I mean, the good news is Karis LeVert came back tonight. Uh, he's been out for a couple of weeks, so uh, he's already hit a couple of nice shots off the bench, and that's a guy that you need with, with his playmaking, um, especially if you're not going to play Craig Porter Jr. You've got another guy that can handle the ball and create for others. But, yeah, if you look at the Cavs, um, their starting lineup this season, they've played 300 total possessions together, which – which isn't bad. Um, it's not great, but it's not bad. And you've got enough of a sample size there um, where it's 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 working. It's not great. It's not a lead. I think they're beating teams by about five and a half points per 100 possession. So it's not what you want to see from your starting lineup, but they are having some success. But after that, no lineup for the Cavs has played more than 89 total possessions together. That's any five-man combination. Um, and you just look down the list, it's like, you know, everybody, 80 possessions, 50 possessions, 40 possessions, there's just not a lot of continuity, and that's because they've had so many guys in and out, and it's not been, you know, this guy's been missing 15 games, and this guy's missed 10, it's more like, you know, two games here, three games there, just enough where they don't have uh, enough time to get a rhythm down, so hopefully with Karras back, um, Mobley dealing with knee soreness, I think we can see him back any any game now, You've got Garland, you've got Mitchell, you've got Allen, you've got Struess. So you've got a lot of the key guys back now with Karis LeVert. So as soon as Evan goes back, it, it, uh, hopefully you can get some some real data that shows what's working, what's not. Greg Swartz, Bleacher Report, joining us here on the hotline at Greg Swartz BR on uh, X. I, I always just go with Twitter, but it is X now, I guess. Um, along those lines, Greg, as you talk about like just different lineup combinations and how there hasn't been a lot of just – them playing together and continuity and all these different things. Like we know at this point that it's a march towards the postseason, and there's plenty of fans who kind of came into this year and and pundits coming into this year who were like, well, the Cavs got to show me in the playoffs before I can really assess who they are or what they are. So on some level, like, are, are we almost overreacting a little bit to like what we've seen so far because of the fact that it it doesn't it won't really matter as much until we get to that point in the season. Or do you, or or is it more so about like you got to establish the the habits now to feel good about what what happens come April, May, and June? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you you've got to establish habits now. This this is a team that hasn't accomplished anything together. You you won one playoff game 
together yeah. uh, against a team that you had home court advantage on. Uh, you were the higher seed in that matchup. Um, you've done absolutely nothing that would suggest that you can coast through the regular season. Um, if the if the regular season was over today, the Cavs would have to play their way in. They're currently in seventh place. They're in the play-in tournament right now. They're not even in the, a top-six seed, especially if you look at the Orlando Magic. I mean, they look like they're for real. They've had yeah. the a number one or number two-ranked defense all season. Um, that's a team that could make a move. They've got a lot of young talent and draft picks they could trade. You know, Boston, Milwaukee, and Philly are going to be there. The Indiana Pacers just, you know, went to the in-season tournament final. They have the number one offense. Uh, the New York Knicks, we obviously know, uh, are a formidable team and I think could even be a lot better. Miami's hanging around. I mean, there's just so many teams in this Eastern Conference that's kind of jumbled up. The Cavs can't be like, you know, well, let's just wait around for the regs yeah. for the playoffs to start and then turn it on. You can only do that if you've got LeBron on your team. Um, <laughs> this is a team that needs to establish, and we saw that plenty of years, and, and they got away with it. This is a team that can't do that. They need to get those habits down now. They need to establish the rotation now. They need to establish what their needs are going into the trade deadline and trade season that's coming up here pretty soon. Um, if they're coasting now, that's that's a horrible mistake. There are signs through advanced mes- metrics that Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell is a feasible backcourt, but – what say you on that subject? Because there's a lot of people who watch these games and feel, and I do think on, on some level they're right. Like there is sort of early in the season here, there's been sort of this give and take of, well, does is Darius handling the ball and he feels like it's his night tonight and he's going to take over? Or does Mitchell feel like he has to take over? Like it seems like they're still sorting through some of that as well. But the metrics do show that it, it can work. So what say you on the prospect of those two functioning together long term? Yeah, I mean, I, I just – as you're saying that, I pulled it up right now. If you're looking at cleaning the glass, which is the website I like to use for that, um, the Cavs, when they have Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell both on the court at the same time, are beating teams by almost 12 points per one her possession. That would rank in the 94th percentile overall. I mean, that's pretty darn good. Yeah. Um, offensively, actually defensively, they're in the 96th percentile. So any worry about those two guys, you know, kind of coexisting defensively, you know, a lot of those – Minutes are coming with Evan Mobley and Jared Allen and, you know, usually both, if not at least one of those guys on the court. So that helps. But, you know, if you look at the, the games and you look at the, the data, it shows that it's working. There's a lot of things that aren't working about the Cavs. But, I mean, let's keep in mind, Darius Garland's 23 years old. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, I don't even think, has reached his prime yet. Uh, this is, you know, they haven't even played 80, 90 total games together. I think this is a partnership that can still work very well. Um, and if you're listing all the problems and the things that are wrong with the Cavs, that partnership is way down on that list because right now the data says that it's working. A few more minutes of Greg Swartz, Bleacher Report. Uh, was the in-season tournament a success in your eyes, and is it something you think fans will buy into moving forward? I thought it was a success. Um, they just kind of released the numbers from it, the Pacers-Lakers tournament championship in Las Vegas got over 4 million viewers. Mm. If you're talking about NBA games in, you know, before Christmas, that's, that's really good. That's usually what NBA games on Christmas day average. And that's one of the biggest games or one of the biggest dates on the NBA regular season calendar. So if you're looking to get more engagement in November and December, when, you know, this nation is still, still football crazy. Um, I think that was important. I thought it was nice that they kind of gave a break in between games um, they kind of set it up. They they put it on a Saturday night where they didn't have any other games. Um, they made every Tuesday and Friday, okay, this is our in-season tournament day. 
they had the the courts that were specially designed. I think I thought they did a nice job of letting you know, hey, tonight is different. Tonight means a little bit more, um, if nothing else, to get some of these pay, players uh, a little bit more money because clearly they cared about it. Even LeBron, who's a billionaire, cared enough about it to to try. So I think it's definitely coming back. I think it's here to stay. There might be some tweaks in terms of point differential and things that they're going to use for tiebreakers. But this is something that's definitely going to be back next year and for the foreseeable future. Does LeBron get to use this as part of his uh, go argument now, even though, because you know, you know how the, you know how the conversation goes, Greg. It's, uh, well, hey, Michael Jordan never won an in-season tournament. Obviously it didn't exist. And for other people, it's like, well, LeBron, if, if LeBron had lost, it would have been, oh, another championship that LeBron couldn't win. Like, you know exactly how this would have played out if it went the other way. Yeah, I don't think he's going to win that argument either way. Uh, I did think it was cool that I, I forget the article I read, but he was kind of going out and telling all the two-way guys, hey, this is for you guys. Like, you know, the $500,000 to yeah. those guys, I mean, that doubles their salary right there. So that's a huge deal for those guys. Um, and uh, the fact that the Lakers, though, are going to hang a banner <laughs> for the NCAA Tournament Championship, this is a franchise that's won how many – uh, NBA titles, um, number one all time, and they're they're gonna they're gonna hang a banner for that. I thought that was a little silly, um, but it did make games more competitive to watch, uh, which I appreciated. So that was good. Well, very fitting for our everybody gets a trophy culture we now live in, uh, uh, Greg. That they're gonna hang a banner. Right. But a <laughs> um, few more minutes here. Again, Greg Swartz at Greg Swartz Br on X. Does a tremendous job covering all things NBA, but especially the Cleveland Cavaliers. It's weird to think that we're just a couple weeks away from the calendar turning over. And then really, I think like that's when, you know, basketball really starts to come into people's for the, the foreground for people where they start to pay more attention. And we start to hear a lot more rumors about trade deadline deals and different things that could happen and players on the move. Who are some of the players that you think could be on the move that fans should be kind of keeping an eye on? and teams that you think would be really active at the deadline? Yeah, I think uh, the team that everybody's going to have their eye on is the Toronto Raptors. Um, 9-13 and 13 overall, they could still hypothetically compete. They could tear things down. A lot of their key guys, the Pascal Siakam, the OG Ananobi, they're going to be unrestricted free agents. Um, you just lost Fred Van Vliet in free agency, which was a huge loss for them. Are they really going to go into next summer with the possibility that these guys are going to leave for nothing? Um, I think that is a very interesting team. Um, another guy, Gary Trent Jr., he was rumored to sign an extension there. It never got done. Uh, that's another guy that's going to be a key free agent for them. So I think if teams are looking for stars, I think Toronto is a team that could offer that. Um, the Pistons and Wizards certainly are two teams that I think are going to continue to tear things down. Uh, they have some useful pieces on there. If you're talking Boyan Bogdanovich, uh, Joe Harris, Alec Burks, uh, for Detroit, those are some guys that, you know, if you need shooting, uh, Detroit does have some guys that can do that. So if you're a Cavs fan, don't get real excited about the trade deadline. Uh, teams like Cleveland who cannot trade a first round pick are not going to be at the, uh, front of the line when it comes to acquiring these stars. But uh, certainly they could go out and get a helpful piece. But um, Toronto, for me, is the team that I'm, I'm most interested in watching and, and seeing if they tear things down or if they try to build things back up. Because right now they are um, a game and a half out of the playing tournament. So they're, they're right on the borderline. What does a, a helpful piece even look like for the Cavs, Greg? Because I feel like you, you spent the offseason basically addressing what your needs were. Like I, the, the, in, in theory, there's not like a, a massive need that you're supposed to have. It almost just feels like you gotta 
get more reps together to figure out if the the iteration that you have put together here is going to work. Am I wrong about that? Yeah, I mean they address their needs in terms of shooting, but I, the backup the backup point guard situation is the one that I'm most concerned about. Especially JB doesn't seem like he's committed to playing Craig Porter Jr., yeah. which I think is ridiculous. I think he should be <laughs> playing every single night. I think he's he's shown that we need him. Um, Ty Jerome was supposed to be the primary backup point guard with Ricky Rubio out. We don't know if Ricky's going to come back or not. There still hasn't been any retirement talk or any real news if he's coming back this season. What kind of shape is he going to be? And if he does come back, um, Jerome has missed, I think, all but two games with his ankle injury. And this is a team, Cleveland, for as good as you know Darius Garland is, as good as Donovan Mitchell is, they still rank 20th um, in assist percentage, 25th overall in assist per game as a team. So if you're looking at a key need, uh, if you're looking at something that we can do to raise up uh, their three-point percentage, which is also 25th in the league right now, let's get better ball movement. Let's get another passer in there. Let's get another playmaker off the bench, um, which you know we, we obviously had with Rubio uh, when he was clicking two years ago. I just think that's the position of need. Um, could they get a Malcolm Brogdon? I don't know. That might be more on the expensive side, but I'd certainly, you know, kind of set my goals there and work down from there because for me, I, I need one more guy that can kind of run the second team offense and get some guys easy shots. He's an NBA writer for Bleacher Report at Greg Swartz BR on Twitter. Greg Swartz, ladies and gentlemen. Greg, always appreciate the time, my man. I promise it, uh, it won't be so long between our, our conversations here, like like this previous uh, sort of lull here. So I, I promise we'll do it again soon, my man. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks. Greg Schwartz, Bleacher Report. Good stuff from him. Uh, gave us some tremendous insight. Said, don't expect too much from the Cavs at the deadline. Also had some interesting commentary on J.B. Bickerstaff's future. We'll talk about that when we get back here on The Fan. Let's take a break. More Cavs conversation when we return. Keep it locked. That's Spencer German on Overtime with Jonathan Peterman. Yeah, guys, I, I understand where you're trying, where people are trying to point to. As you try to sort through the problems on this team, I, I understand why Mitchell and Garland coexisting, and if that's a problem and something that that isn't really possible, is something that people want to point to. But as we talked about with Greg, like the advanced numbers show that that is not even really remotely an issue right now for this team. I think injuries are obviously number one. If you want to make a case that J.B. Bickerstaff and just the, the in-game decision-making and adjustments is number two, I, I would hear you on that. And then we can kind of continue on our way in terms of personnel and things that are or aren't working. But I don't know. That that feels like, uh, uh, like fans may be reaching for something to blame for why things aren't going right or why there's maybe a slower start to the season than what people anticipated. I honestly think a lot of it, though, is just resolved by the fact that if you have this, your starters together longer than they've had their starters together, I don't know that they'd be just a couple games over 500. Like, I would imagine things would be going much smoother. Maybe I'm wrong, and that stuff has to still flush itself out. But for now, I, I, I think that's kind of where I'm at with it. I, I don't know that we're, we should sit here feeling like Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland are – the problem because they again the numbers show that they are they're fine together and that they're having success and that they're able to be pr- productive as uh, sort of coexisting as a tandem so i'm not going to sit here and blame that i'm uh, if i'm being honest 
But 216-474-0092, what are you attributing to the slow start to the Cavs season? And do you think it's something that they can turn around? We'll certainly talk more Cavs a little bit later as well because we're not going to, this is going to be a somewhat shorter segment. We got Daryl Ryder said to join us coming up in about uh, 12 minutes. So we'll go back to Browns for a little bit with him. But I will circle back to the Cavs as we keep an eye on the Celtics game for you tonight as well. And at the moment, that game is at the half. Cavaliers lead by one, 60 to 59. So there'll be more Cavs conversations to have. But I also did think it was interesting that you got a you got Greg Swartz talking about how you shouldn't expect the Cavs to do much at the deadline. Like their big move might honestly end up being that they move on from J.B. Bickerstaff and bring in a different coach because they just don't have the assets to do anything unless you're trading Donovan Mitchell and flipping him. But I don't think this team traded everything they traded for Donovan Mitchell to give up on it a year and a half into the experiment. I, I just don't. So I don't think that's happening. Like I think your adjustment is seeing as this team gets healthier what things look like the more and more they play together. Like you're just hoping to get consistency and more reps and minutes together to sort of assess where this team is at when you go into the the second half of the season when we get through the the, the new the new year here. Let's go to BP and Pepper Pike. I knew you'd call back, BP. What's going on, man? Appreciate you. Hey, Spencer. How are you doing tonight? Pretty good. How about you? Good, good. That was a good interview with Greg Schwartz, and uh, you know he's said all the right things. I, you know, I have to disagree. I think the biggest need for the Cavs when they come to the trade deadline would be like a guy like Bogdan Bogdanovich from Detroit. You know, yeah. a starting caliber. And, and he did mention he did mention the name, so it's at least on his radar for sure. But yeah, because he kind of mentioned Malcolm Brogdon, and to me, you know, we we're good on you know six foot two, six foot you know three point guards. And I think Craig Porter Jr. should be getting minutes. So, you know, I'm unhappy about that, where I think he's really productive when he's in the game. But so I don't think the Cavs need Brogdon. I would like to see the guy from Detroit come in the small forward because he's also played with Donovan Mitchell in Utah and had a lot of success. So I think he'd be a perfect fit. I don't know. You know, he makes $19 million a year. So you'd probably have to, you know, be pretty creative unless you wanted to give up Karis LeVert. I don't think I'd want to give up Karis LeVert for him. But yeah. you know what? What do you think of that idea? And I also I wanted to hear your thoughts on the mid on the in season tournament, and then uh, I'll give you mine as well. Well, I'll get more to the in season tournament in a little bit, so I'll, I'll save my thoughts on it. But um, I, I I think Greg bringing up the 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 ratings I think is telling. Like four point four million for an NBA game in November, or I guess not November, but early December, like. That's a pretty big deal for them. Like, I think the proof is in the pudding. As much as people want to poo-poo it and say nobody cares, it seems like there was enough people that cared that they're going to probably tweak some things and try to bring it back. So um, I I don't see them changing that. But, uh, yeah, and and I do think you mentioned Karis LeVert. That does feel like if you're going to shake anything up if you're the Cavs, that feels like maybe the one chip you have in your disposal. Like, yeah, we have this guy who can be a productive piece for you off the bench maybe, uh, a a good scorer for some team if you're looking to to make a trade. But I stand by what I said. Like, there's not – you the Cavs addressed pretty much all the needs that they were trying to address. Like, unless you're able to find some upgrade without – some magical upgrade at a position without giving up a, a, a bunch of stuff, I don't know that there's, like, a lot to be had for them at the deadline. Yeah, I mean, a couple of names I could think of are, let's just say, like Gordon Hayward from Charlotte. Hornets would be a good addition. You know, they're a bad team. I always forget he's, about him. Yeah, he's good. I mean, he could help this team out because he's, you know, the six foot eight starting small forward. I think Max Struess has been good, but to me, he's still a shooting guard. 
And like you saw tonight, Jalen Brown is blowing right by, you know, Max Struess. I saw the other night, um, you know, Wagner, Franz Wagner was blowing by Max yeah. Struess. Yeah. I just think Max Struess is too small to guard these small forwards. And the small forward is these guys aren't yeah. small. They're 6'8", six, 6'9", six, and 6'10". So, yeah. you know, so that's why my thought is, and maybe even the Cavs could look look at Jeff Green from the Houston Rockets. You know, maybe. Uh, Jeff Green, reuniting with Jeff Green, former Cavs legend on those uh, fi- yeah. that, that NBA Finals team with LeBron that last year. How about that? He, he is a great role player. But one last thought on the uh, the tournament. I thought, you know, they played it in Las Vegas, and that's really close to Los Angeles. I felt it was almost like a home court advantage for the Lakers. Mm. So that's I think maybe point. the NBA... I think the NBA should think about maybe moving it to, like, I actually, if I was a player, I'd rather go to, like, the Bahamas, like Atlantis or somewhere. Because if you look at the weather in Vegas, it was 66 degrees. I mean, it wasn't exactly, you know, summer weather there. So I think overall it was interesting to watch. But, you know, I think the NBA and I think the Cavs, they should have taken about 12 teams into the knockout round, not just eight teams. I thought the Cavs got screwed. All right, VP, I appreciate the call, man. Good stuff. And, uh, yeah, good good thoughts on the, the NCAA tournament. Real quick here. Pac-Man and Painesville, you got a little. You got you, if you can get hey, if you can get your thoughts in here quickly. I'll, I'll get you in. What's up? Yeah, I got you. Um, I like what you said. You know, the the one move they can make is JB at the deadline. You know, uh, mental toughness comes from the coach. Like, is there a Jim Schwartz, you know, coach that's out there that can come and give these guys a mental edge? I think Jared Allen said it loud when he said the lights were too bright. That comes down to that the JB getting them ready for those situations. Hmm. I like that thought. Yeah, listen, I think a lot of that starts with coach, right? Like, we're talking about with the Browns, the, the mentality that they've had this season has been based in Kevin Stefanski just kind of taking it one game at a time and next man up. And I think if you have a coach that, that the team believes in, then that certainly trickles down to the, the play on the court in those moments. So I, I can see where you're coming from, and I think that probably is an indictment on, on Bickerstaff and part of the reason why we're talking about maybe him getting moved on from here in the coming weeks. So good stuff, Pac, man. Appreciate yeah, you. Yep, take care, buddy. Thank you. Yep, absolutely. Good stuff. Uh, all right, we got that one in at the buzzer. Uh, I do want to remind you real quickly here that you don't want to miss the post-game edition of It's Always Game Day in Cleveland with Daryl Ryder and Andy Baskin Sunday evening. Subscribe to the podcast at 92.2thefan.com or in the Odyssey app. Sponsored locally by Smiley One and Bryant, Northeast Ohio's premier heating and cooling solution. And get two first episodes before the next game against the Bears this week. And speaking of Daryl Ryder, he joins us next He's our second guest of the evening here on Overtime with Jonathan Peterlin on 92 Through the Fan.